Hi, I'm Charles Gossier, President and CEO of the Downtown Vancouver Business Improvement Association. We're proud to sponsor the Coping with COVID-19 daily podcast series this month. Thanks, everyone, and stay strong. You're watching Coping with COVID-19. I'm Haley Wooden. Today, we look at some of the trends and shifts in the global economy as countries turn their attention to reopening their economies to some extent. My guest today is Carl Shimada, Chief Market Strategist at Cambridge Global Payments. Carl, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks very much for having me. What kind of pace of economic recovery are you expecting to see or are markets expecting to see right now? I think the key right now is that we're all looking for sort of a Nike swoosh designed recovery. Um, <laughs> you know, essentially a sort of fall off the cliff up, up front, um, but ultimately that we move uh, back something like this. Uh, so, you know, a more gradual climb back, um, not sort of a immediate rebound, but something that, uh, you know, takes a year to two years to unwind um, and that has sort of a lot of setbacks along the way. So, you know, a very, very uncertain future for, for businesses and consumers. And what are some of the trends or factors that are really going to hold back or are expected to hold back economic recovery? I imagine, for example, consumer confidence or people losing their jobs might be some of those factors. Absolutely. So you have right now essentially a global economy that is in sort of a, a frozen state. Um, so, you know, the key here is we're going to see various parts of the economy uh, thaw very, very gradually. And so you might see, you know, some parts rebound relatively quickly. For example, you know, large institutions, uh, governments and things like that, uh, where salaries are, you know, steady and, and uh, you know, the income stream is, is there. But in other areas of the economy, that is not going to happen. You're going to have a large number of consumers who uh, have lost all or most of their income. Um, and are not spending any longer. We have, you know, of course, an entire society that will be afraid to go out um, and socialize with other people, which is going to impact, you know, the hospitality sector, it's going to impact restaurants, going to impact air travel, all of those areas that, you know, have helped to, uh, to drive the economy in years past. So, you know, you're looking at something where uh, you're going to have a lot of negative effects. But at the same time, uh, it's kind of important to highlight that we might have a large, large uh, sort of retooling happening at the same time, right? You might have uh, the hospitality sector re-gearing how it operates, uh, you know, the delivery areas of the economy uh, amping up and becoming sort of uh, more permanent features of, of how we do business and uh, workplaces retooling. So, you know, for example, where I work, you know, we're looking to retool the office and, and uh, institute uh, new measures that we didn't have before. And that's going to require investment. So, you know, the the sort of sum total of that is that uh, you're looking at a gradual climb back, but, you know, some bright spots amid all of the gloom. Absolutely. Any sectors or industries that might experience a major collapse from which they can't recover? I'm thinking, for example, and not that they're a full industry, but Airbnb, for example, such a big part of our economy prior to this. I wonder if people might be really concerned about, say, staying in someone's home for health and safety reasons? Are there any concerns about things that we have had that might not exist post-COVID? Yeah, I think that Airbnb is going to be permanently impacted. Uh, you know, travel overall is definitely going to slow. 
Um, you know, even corporate conferences are going to slow materially. Um, it's very unlikely that large companies are going to send large numbers of employees around the world uh, to meet with others and, you know, potentially come into contact with something infectious. Um, but, you know, the other side of it, all this is that uh, uh, the most, the four most expensive words in the English language are this time is different. Um, you know, over and over and over, if you look at human history, uh, when something hits, we decide, you know, everything's different now and, and we're never going to go back to, you know, how we functioned before. Um, and the reality is that in al almost every single case, humanity reverted back really, really quickly. And I think that's basically because we have the attention span of a goldfish. <laughs> um, you know, human beings just simply don't remember things for very long. And, and, uh, you know, we get tired of, uh, of doing things in a certain way very, very quickly. So, um, you know, what's interesting right now is actually seeing some of the data um, on driving patterns on, uh, you know, going outside and things like that. Um, and you're seeing a lot of that rebound uh, across the Western world. So it suggests that, you know, uh, a, lot of, a lot of people are really reverting back to what they used to do. Um, and that's likely to continue in the months ahead. That's interesting. Um, if we consider, say, a very optimistic scenario and the economy rebounds much faster than anyone's expecting, what are some things to watch for and some potential implications of that? Yeah, I think that's a really good thing to talk about because, you know, right now the consensus is that things are so terrible and that the recovery is going to be so slow that uh, that people are sort of avoiding investment. They're not uh, they're not functioning as they once did. And the question here is, what if that is incorrect? What if, you know, we suddenly do rebound in some way? Uh, what if economies reopen and people go back to doing what they were doing previously? Uh, could we see a different sort of economy uh, come out of that? And I think quite possibly, yes. Uh, one of the things that could happen is that, uh, you know, financial markets could loosen up materially. We could see asset prices rebound um, in a more pronounced fashion than we have. We could see the US dollar fall. Uh, so the US dollar has risen very rapidly as uh, safe haven buying has lifted. And in other words, everyone in the world wanted the safest asset that they could find, and that was the US dollar. Um, if the situation reverses, we could see the US dollar fall. And if that happens, then you see other things rise in, in uh, sort of opposition to that, like the Canadian dollar, like oil prices, um, commodity prices more generally. Um, and if all of that were to happen, uh, you know, you're actually looking at a new round of volatility in the financial markets. Um, this is sort of essentially the one thing that no one expects right now is a positive outcome. <laughs> <laughs> kind of that black swan event, almost important to keep it in mind at the very Absolutely. least. Absolutely. You see that. Uh, you mentioned oil prices. Of course, it's been absolutely amazing to see what's been happening and devastating for so many companies and individuals employed by that sector. Any relief whatsoever for the North American oil sector on the horizon? Oh, yeah, I think I think right now we are already recovering from where we were. Um, you know, the, the global economy suffered a massive demand shock. We saw a, uh, a collapse in commuting around the world uh, that weighed on, uh, on fuel consumption. And that sort of drove a massive imbalance between, you know, the producer side and the consumption side. And, and those two sides are sort of coming into alignment right now. And you are beginning to see oil prices recover. Now, we're not going to recover to levels that we saw a couple of years ago. Um, and so what that really does mean is that you are looking at a oil and energy sector overall that is far smaller than it has been. Um, and, you know, that's a terrible adjustment for many people in the, in the sector. 
Um, and it's, it's something that, uh, you know, I, I suspect we're just simply not going to recover from in the next decade. Um, and I, I guess one thing to kind of highlight there is that the big factor here in recent years, the thing that sort of precipitated this big problem was the growth of the shale sector in the U.S. and Canada. And that remains relatively intact today. So if we were to see oil prices suddenly recover, um, if we were to see, you know, sort of break even rates uh, converge with reality, we would see uh, shale production coming back online. And so what that sort of means is that ultimately it's very hard for prices to rise a lot. Uh, that it's a situation in which if prices rose enough, production would rise and bring things into balance. So uh, that means that that sort of boom cycle that we've seen lift the Albertan economy a couple of times in the last two decades uh, may be over for now. Interesting. I imagine that you and your colleagues have gotten so many calls, emails, uh, requests for information from investors over the past couple of months. A lot has happened in the markets. Generally speaking, what's the message to investors at this point in time who are maybe looking at all of this uncertainty, but still trying to make concrete plans for their financial futures? Yeah, I think the thing that, you know, we are always recommending to uh, to our customers, our customers are mostly corporate. Um, what they're always looking to, uh, or what we're always really recommending is to stay safe and, and you know, kind of keep it simple. Um, the key uh, going into this crisis was that a lot of businesses and households had become terribly over leveraged. They had borrowed too much. And that means that any little surprise can completely derail you. Um, and, you know, that's sort of where a lot of all of this sort of, uh, I guess, the dominoes are falling right now is because these companies uh, and individuals had borrowed too much and, and just simply don't have a margin for error. So today, what we're really, you know, sort of emphasizing is that it really makes a lot of sense to build up that balance sheet to pay down the debt uh, while you can um, and to, uh, you know, uh, plan for a brighter future uh, ahead in the longer run. You know, don't sort of shut up shop and, and assume that this situation is going to prevail forever, um, but definitely try and, you know, protect yourself while it does, uh, while it does impact the global economy. Mm-hmm. You mentioned we uh, we suffer from short memories at times. Does that apply to to the corporate side of things? Do you think we'll see maybe a hesitancy for the next couple of years on investing or really uh, putting yourselves out there, putting your balance sheet out there, taking on more debt? Or do you think that it's possible we see companies spring back and kind of forget what happened and move on with their plans? Yeah, it's kind of a complex uh, situation here. So first thing to kind of talk about is that uh, there's a lot of research showing that when we see uncertainty levels in the economy rise, we tend to see a drop in investment. So we, we see companies sort of pull back on their plans to hire, to build new things, uh, to you know invest in R&D, uh, all of those things get pulled back. And that effect tends to uh, to, you know, sort of uh, last at least 12 to 18 months. And, you know, I think this time around, you're looking at at least two years in which companies pull back on on all of those investment plans and, and behave more cautiously. However, there's one really big ingredient to bring into that. And that is that although uncertainty is high and, uh, you know, companies are going to feel more cautious, the reality is that financial conditions have loosened so much that it makes a lot of sense to go out and borrow money right now and to uh, to invest. Uh, so, you know, with, you know, central banks like the Federal Reserve, the Bank of Canada, um, pumping money into the financial markets while governments spend uh, at an unprecedented rate, 
um, that's going to really sort of tilt against that uncertainty and, and, you know, potentially help to balance it out a little bit. So I guess long story short to that is that, you know, we really don't know how companies are going to behave. They may actually, um, they may actually, you know, take that, uh, that hint from the fiscal and monetary response and, uh, and actually amp up the spending at some point. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people are looking to China to see how China's recovery is going and seeing if they can take any lessons learned there and apply it to what may happen in other countries. What are you going to be watching in the weeks and months ahead to inform sort of your strategy and what you tell investors? Yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic question. I've, I'm always uh, a very avid China watcher. Um, but the, the problem that we have right now is that China did not suffer the same sort of consequences that we're seeing in elsewhere in the world. Um, Particularly, I guess, when we look at the employment side of things, because, you know, the number of of folks that were uh, sort of laid off during this crisis in China has been much smaller as a uh, proportion of the population than we have seen elsewhere. Um, Also, the shutdown was much uh, more extreme and uh, shorter lived than what we're seeing in, uh, in North America and Europe. Um, largely because Chinese authorities figured out what was happening and uh, are sort of in a political position to shut things down very quickly. So as a result, the Chinese economy is bouncing back quite rapidly. Uh, We're seeing most sectors recovering back to pre-trend or pre-crisis growth trends, and uh, that cannot be extrapolated elsewhere in the world. We don't have the same situation elsewhere. We're not going to be in the position to, you know, immediately see commuting levels return. Um, you know, white collar workers are not going to be going back to work anytime soon. Um, and so, you know, I think when we look at China, we can't necessarily extrapolate its lessons. Um, the one thing that we can say, though, is that if you look at the average uh, Chinese consumer, um, they're back to doing pretty much what they were doing beforehand. <laughs> Um, so potentially that's something that we can look at is, you know, does the psychology shift uh, more quickly in North America than we currently expect. Interesting. Carl, a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much for coming on with your insight. Thanks very much for having me. That's Carl Shimada, Chief Market Strategist at Cambridge Global Payments. This has been Coping with COVID-19. I'm Haley Wooden. Thanks so much for watching. We will be back on Monday with a new video.